voila. <laughs> this is the Creative Double Shot, a conversation about building the creative life you want. I'm Jonathan. And I'm Ginger. If you want more creativity in your life, let's talk. Today, we're going to open up a little bit about our past and how we developed our creative practices to give you a little bit of idea of why you should even listen to anything we say. We'll start with Ginger's story, and what you'll find is that our stories are a little bit intertwined, so hopefully you'll enjoy listening and get sort of an idea of how our creative practices came to be and some of the things that we did to help keep us on track and figuring out why we wanted to stay on track and all that kind of stuff. My story begins back in the day. <laughs> well, actually, probably as a kid growing up uh, in the 70s and right near a woods, I would say that my early creative practice started in the woods, really, with trees and nature and the creek. And just that's where I continue to draw my inspiration, but I, I can track that back all the way, you know, into my early childhood. You know, my early paintings, I actually have some of my very early drawings and paintings are of flowers and leaves and trees. And that's the beginning of my creative practice. And then as an adult, I was a mental health counselor, but I continued to work on visual. I, I've always been drawn to the visual arts myself, colors and and like I said, nature and just as simple as the sun streaming in on our cat sleeping on the couch and just really wanting to stay home and draw instead of going to work. So as, as time went on, I just tried to follow that instinct. And, you know, I love to buy art supplies and, and stuff like that. Oh, I also think back to my early days in, in my high school years, I was very interested in makeup. Anyone who knows me now knows that that interest has waned. I am not as into that anymore, but I really feel like that was the foundation of this kind of obsession I have with color. And the painting of the face is a very creative endeavor. Also, uh, I had a weird obsession with, you know, uh, J. Crew magazines, even though, like I said, I never ordered anything, but I um, love the colors and what they named the colors. And just probably a, a crew. Those people, <laughs> exactly. Raspberry sorbet. <laughs> Espresso. So, yeah, exactly. So, anyway, uh, those are a few of the underpinnings. But then later, when I started sort of thinking about really making this a daily practice, I just thought about ways that I could incorporate it more into my daily life outside of my job. And um, did you find that easy? Was it like, oh, yeah, OK, here are these steps I'm going to take. And now I'm I have a practice. <laughs> uh, no. So it's uh, not a linear process at all. It was sometimes very wildly successful. And uh, in terms of I defined success as having time to do it and really get into it and, you know, that kind of stuff at the time. That's what I define success but then there would be times when I didn't have time for that, particularly after our child was born. I really stepped away from any kind of daily practice whatsoever. It wasn't until a, a good friend of ours introduced me to the concept of the ATC, which stands for Artist Trading Cards. And they are not meant to be sold or, you know, in money exchanged for any reason they're trading cards. So you make them and you trade with other people 
online. And it's, it, it came from this kind of desire to share what I was doing, which I'd been sharing and making uh, gifts for people, you oh, know, yeah. over the years and painting. Lots of people have paintings of their cats and dogs and stuff that I've made them. But uh, this artist trading card really kind of opened up that because they're very small. They're only three and a half by two and a half. And so it's really doable on a daily, or or maybe it wasn't even daily, but it was this sharing of the process in a non-monetary way, but getting to see what other people were creating and even getting to collect other little pieces of people's art. And so again, this is a visual, a visual art thing, which most of my examples are, but um, it was a perfect way, a perfect introduction to kind of a motivation to create, yeah. to share, and just making it more of a regular practice because we were putting them out there and, yeah. So there's the actual creation process, right? It was sort of, there was, it was low stress, right? It wasn't like, oh my gosh, if, if I blow this one, I'm done. You know, it was more exactly. like, oh, well, this is only two and a half by three and a half. Yes. If I botch it, I'll put this one aside and start another one. And to, you would finish. You, you, you take a work from start to finish. Yes, in a very short period of time, yeah. which felt... Uh, yeah, it satisfies that weird puritanical production <laughs> gene that we all have. <laughs> which is better than witch burning. So, right, you know. exactly. Speaking of materials and the use of materials, I think that's been a huge thing for me over the years of this fear of wasting materials yeah. on things that aren't good. So that the ATCs were very gratifying because of the size and just didn't feel overwhelming. And so what was happening was I was practicing and I was getting better on a small scale without realizing that that's what I was doing. Yeah. Do you recall how long you were doing those? And then, and then what, what happened next for you, do you after? Yeah. That? So uh, Jonathan's mom was part of this organization in, in West Virginia called Tamarack that's a beautiful artist's organization. And you can apply to be part of their, you know, their statewide process. And so I did the ATCs for about four or five months. I was really into them. And uh, my, my mother-in-law encouraged me to apply to this place. And uh, I actually got in. And it's a, it's a fully juried. Yes, exactly. So I applied and they basically judged the things that I turned in. And again, these weren't ATCs that I was doing, or that I applied with. You know, I, I had other paintings of probably cats and... Um, and still live. <laughs> and still life, yeah, which is what I really just love drawing. My coffee mug and things that were around the house and that stayed still, my sleeping cat. Pears. So, um, and pears. Anyway, I, I got in there and it was sort of... You know, it was this external, again, some of us need a legitimizing little force. And so I decided that I wanted to pursue my creative thing as a money-making deal, but not that's not always the case. Right. Like, it wasn't purely like, oh, this is a transactional type thing. You love doing art and you thought, hey, maybe I can make some income doing something I love, right? That's like, that's the, the dream is to always, ah, yeah, just take what you love and yeah. you'll make jillions. Monetize. And so I was friends with, and, and Jonathan's mom is a stained glass artist, so I was hanging around people who were also similarly trying to make their money that way. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. We used to go to, um, this a little aside, but we used to go to this Bluegrass Festival down in North Carolina, where my mom would have a booth, 
uh, selling your stained glass stuff, and we'd be around all these other artisans, potters and woodworkers and uh, textile weavers. When we went up to the Rhododendron Festival in Charleston, and Philip Arabia was there, right. and Ginger, before the ATCs, several years before the ATCs, she had taken a number of art classes with Philip and also down in uh, Taylor, at Taylor Books. You did yeah, some drawing classes exactly. there. And, and so you were always, it's interesting, right? So you're always looking for ways to incorporate it into your life. Classes always seemed the easiest way because it's like, oh, well, I'm paying for it and I have to go. Yeah. And, and if I say anything stupid, just tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> but, you know, and so right. you were, you had this, like in, in, from looking at from the outside in, you had this trajectory of, you, you always sought it out in some way, shape or form. And it, and it was kind of roller coastery, right? Like you'd do it for a while and then maybe we'd move and you'd have yeah. to kind of figure it out. And you were always trying to figure out how to incorporate art. And before we moved to our previous location, you had your own studio, um, your own art studio. And that, right. how was that? Like, oh, that was wonderful. And I wasn't, I wasn't selling anything, but I had a dedicated space. So I didn't have to clean off the kitchen table to get ready for dinner and move all my stuff. And, and what I know now, of course, after talking to many, many, many artists and particularly people who live in smaller houses or have kids, that, you know, if you can carve out just even a small desk or something for yourself, some space yeah. to do whatever you're doing, writing, making drawing, you know, that that does make a difference to have a little bit of dedicated space. Why do you think that is? Because you dedicate yourself to a practice and you don't have the ready-made excuse of, well, I'm going to have to clean this off for dinner and exactly. so I don't really want to get started or I don't want to deal with it. Or, or you know. everyone can see me where I am. Or everyone, yeah, exactly, yeah, I'm exposed. But yeah, 100%, I, I think that's, you know, by telling your story, we kind of get into some of the things that we'll, we'll expound on later. But I think also by creating this space for yourself, whether it's a little cubby or it's an entire studio or whatever it is, is that you're honoring your desire, like you're giving it credence and the, yeah. the attention that it deserves as opposed to, oh, it's frivolous. What is it for? Yeah, you know, making sure that you take it seriously insofar as it's good for you. Yes. And it feels good. Yeah. It feels good. Cool. So anyway, so actually, it's interesting. You know, we're like, oh, we'll sit down, we'll tell our stories. And of course, in our minds, it's like, oh, it's going to be this linear story. But really, it's all over the place because as you tell parts of it, you remember stuff from before. <laughs> right. Like I was just like, holy crap, there's this whole we, – we lived in a town called Looneyville, which was awesome. Um, and it was a, a, just a re very rural part of West Virginia in Roan County. And uh, it was quiet. And it, it, it happened to have this mother-in-law's quarters that the people we bought the house from – and, and mind you, it wasn't extravagant. It was basically a cinder block building that was sided, but it was, you know, had air conditioning and, and just space. And it was kind of our guest room. And, and it's really where my painting practice was yes. born because I have an attic full of these paintings that I did back then. And it was a steep learning curve, learning, yeah. you know, how to paint. And so it's interesting because I have people now say like, ah, oh, you know, uh, we compare ourselves to people who have spent many years yeah. practicing, you know, and so it's kind of fun to, they say that you should hold on to a couple of your early, early things, you know, just to compare. But well, anyway. Well, and, and so the, the another piece of that too is, so we were at this place for four and a half years. 
So that's four and a half years where you dedicated yourself, I don't want to say to your art, but to yourself. You're like, okay, I'm I'm going to do this for me because this is what I want to do. And it was nice because you weren't trying to sell it and you weren't, you were just doing it for the sake of doing it. And so you were able to kind of work on your inner critic stuff and and all that and not have the, the like, oh, if this doesn't sell, we're, you know, we're going to be eating shoe leather for the next week or 10. And so I, I think that's the other part of it, too. And we, we touched on this, I think, in, in an earlier episode of that, like, oh, if you're not good right away, then, then you must not be talented or you must not have what it takes. Right. Whereas if you just kind of work at it as a practice and you can st- over time, you'll see results as opposed to like a week. Oh, last week I couldn't do this and now I can versus, oh, four years ago. Look at this. Right. Look at my perspective. <laughs> Look at my colors, whatever. And, uh, and then you're like, oh, my gosh, I've come a long way. And I'll stop talking and let Ginger tell more of her story. Uh, but I just want to say that, you know, looking ahead. So after that four and a half year period, looking ahead, the, the next four and a half years, you look back, you know, you're always looking back and comparing to that too. And, and when you take time to do that over long stretches of time, I think it's always amazing what, what you see. And it's the validation that, oh, by doing this practice that I don't see the changes every day, but over months and years, you actually really do see how things evolve and become more sophisticated and more have more depth and, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I love the idea, like I've heard so many times people say, well, I'm too old to learn how to draw <laughs> or I'm too, you know, like I'm too old to start writing a novel. Or, and, and I loved, I, I don't even know who said it, but about do what you love to do because the time is going to pass anyway you might as well be enjoying it. You know, like I'm paraphrasing poorly, but that's basically the idea that looking back and and something I kick myself about all the time is my ukulele, you know, learning, well, first the violin and and now the ukulele. Don't forget piano. I didn't, oh, well, yeah, piano. (laughs) I took years of piano lessons and I can play the first couple of notes of the Young and Restless theme song, which anyone who knows me has heard me play anytime I'm near a piano. But my ukulele, I have done in fits and starts for sure. And um, I just had a breakthrough kind of recently because I actually decided, you know what, I'm going to spend 15 minutes a day doing this. Just I'm going to leave it out and I'm just going to pick it up and work on it. And I also took a little online tutorial thing and happened to find a song I really liked. And, And so anyway, but it's that I had to get past even for that. I mean, I make my living as a professional artist, and I had to get past this idea that, well, playing the ukulele is a silly, I can't make any money doing that. It's not part of, you know. But but now I recognize it as such an important part of my creative practice yes. as a crossover, you know, as something that really I enjoy and the time goes so quickly, and I'm not recording it, thank God, because, you know, it to the outside world, it's painful. but. At least with the ukulele, unlike the violin, you can make it sound decent <laughs> when you're just playing around. Those sound like angry cats. <laughs> but the violin, speaking of angry cats, would actually send our cats running. So, so bringing it back around to the, the practice, you know, and like I think all these are cool anecdotes that kind of tap into the, the whole idea of what a practice is. You know, it, again, we always think of it as linear and so forth. So once you got accepted into Tamarack, Clearly, it took off. You made hundreds of thousands of dollars. Every, <laughs> yeah, you know. look at me now. <laughs> but but you mentioned, I think, that it, it, it was a confidence boost. It was a validation. How, what happened after that? 
I basically started uh, going to these shows that my mother-in-law had been going to. I, I started also going to shows in West Virginia, and West Virginia has a beautiful, strong tradition of art shows and craft festivals. So I was able to basically just start taking my stuff, setting it up at a table and showing people and getting to know people and just talking about the process and being around other people that were that were doing it. And that was just a nice, easy way to kind of step into turning it into a, a more professional pursuit. And then my counseling just sort of ended organically because the person I was working for ended up closing his practice. So, you know, then I just sort of, instead of searching for another counseling job, I just took a deep breath and said, well, let's make a, let's make a go of this full time. Yeah, and, and where, where we lived, basically up until a year ago, uh, the cost of living was generally pretty low, especially the house that we bought. So our overhead wasn't super high. Right. And it definitely helped help us be able to make that transition from two people working full time, you know, which is that's always the other part of the struggle, which we'll talk about carving out space in future episodes. Just to get, you know, just for a little background, you know, I, I, I always love it when people are like, oh, yeah, you know, so there I was in my 3,000 square foot studio in New York City. Right. And uh, I was scrimping. I was only, you know, <laughs> Either, you know, my trust fund was running. I don't know, whatever. Right. And, and so, like, the, the key here to understand is that, I mean, we're not poor, but we're by no means uh, independently wealthy or anything like that. And so that's, I think, a really important part of this story is that under constraints that most people face in their lives, you know, most working people face, you know, you were able to do your thing and I was able to do my thing. We, we figured it out. And there were many yeah. times where we had conversations about trying to figure it out, like, oh my gosh, you know, well, I suddenly don't feel like I have any time and how do, you know, trying to find ways to to shoehorn the creativity in. Um, and definitely you taking that step was huge for opening up swaths of time, although we had a young child. Right. And there, so there was that aspect of it and still... Parenting, by the way, is a huge creative pursuit all <laughs> yeah, on its own totally. and takes much, a lot of your energy. And if you can, just a quick aside, if you can look at it that way and take joy in, you know, sometimes it seems like the days are about 48 hours long. Yes. But if you can take some joy in, in the those years are short. creative pursuits that they are, in those creative pursuits with your child, especially when they're so unself-conscious and so forth, it's just, it's beautiful. So then I continued to do that and then we moved to Roanoke and... Um... <laughs> I have my own studio. <laughs> yeah, never mind that whole 16-year period <laughs> in there. Oh, did I gloss over something? Well, I was thinking of, uh, <laughs> so, so you got a Tamarack, and oh. you were working primarily out of the house, right? Oh, right. Were... Oh, that's right. Excellent point. So I was literally working at the kitchen table and um, having to clean it off for dinner. That's why I mentioned that earlier, because that was a real. And we didn't have a lot of, we have a... a a small house there. We didn't. And, and really like a thousand square feet, not like, like oh, it's a small 3,500 square foot exactly. bungalow. <laughs> right. And so, and a small child. So you can't just leave stuff around, you know, we were still childproofing. And then uh, a friend who had a, a beautiful art studio offered 
some space. Would you like to have some space and just help me out with the utilities, which was a huge gift. And I was able to do that. And that took it, took it up a notch, you know, having a place where I could leave everything. I could leave what I was working on and not have to reset up. I think ease of, and we'll talk about that, of course, but making it as easy as possible, just like I mentioned, leaving the ukulele just out, Mm -hmm. sitting out. I learned that from Jonathan, actually, leaving his guitar guitar out so he would play. But so it's just a matter of just ease of process. So then I had that studio space that I shared and was also what's nice about sharing that with another artist is then I'm building my art community. So we're talking about art. And then I decided after I decided to do this full time, I should take some art marketing classes. Besides, I was, I'm not, I'll never be done taking, you know, instructional things. I always feel like I could learn more. Although I had found what I felt to be sort of my style and what I really wanted to do. And then I needed to figure out how to learn how to sell it. So I started taking an online marketing class. Actually, I started listening to podcasts. Podcasts are very <laughs> valuable place to, to learn things whenever and wherever <laughs> possible. So there are many, many good art art podcasts, art podcasts <laughs> that we'll be uh, telling you about in the show notes over the over the months and Yarns. years that you listen to us. And uh, but I started listening to the Savvy Painter podcast actually, which is really geared toward visual artists, but it's, a, you know, beautiful talks about creativity. And so I took a class and met 18, basically spent six months with 18 other artists once a week on nice. Zoom. Long before COVID, uh, I learned about Zoom and really revolutionized my whole practice and just building that community with other people who are, are doing what you're trying to do and who really get you. And that took it up a notch. Then we moved here. I've got my studio. I've got access to a whole new art market in a new state. So the sky's the limit. It's interesting. One thing I kind of want to touch on here, you know, the thing with Ginger is that, actually I'll say it to you, I'll do second person instead of (laughs) pretending like you're not here, is that you you consciously made a decision to monetize your, your art practice be, be very clear that that, is, that doesn't have to be your path. It, it's a neat path. It can be a nice supplemental thing. It can be a career thing. It can just be, I don't want to say a hobby because, you know, the word hobby comes loaded with like, exactly. like oh, yes, I do model trains, which is no offense to the model train people, right? Like it's, it's a pretty fascinating thing if you're willing to delve into it. Um, but just that idea that, and again, I mentioned this earlier in this podcast, that the why, why are you doing art in the first place? And, and with Ginger, I know this because we've been married for over 20 years and it's not, the money's nice, but it's, it's always, always, always about the art. It's always about that feeling you get when you're either in that flow state creating or once you've created something and you get to stand back and either, you know, listen to it or look at it or read it or whatever it is that that's really what gets you jazzed. I mean, because if you can't pull that inspiration from inside of you, then you're going to eventually run out of accolades from you know, this exter- exactly. those external validations. You'll eventually run out of those. And I think, you know, being able to circle back and remind yourself why and that, and 
Do you feel like you've had to do that throughout your whatever? Circle back to my why? Oh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I was thinking like over the last like 15 years or whatever, I, however long it's been, 20 years, um, and just like, well, why am I wasting my time? <laughs> you know, there are those days right. where you're just absolutely. like, Absolutely, and I don't have a single thought or idea, and I'm just, well, you know, I've, yeah. Sorry. I'm washed up. Well, right, and you, <laughs> well, and you, because you're thinking of it from an external point of view, right? right? You're like, oh, well. No one's going to want to buy this or, oh, this is like the same stuff I was doing three years ago or whatever it is. And then it's like, well, wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. That's not why yeah. I've decided to keep doing this. I mean, yes, those things are very nice. There's no question about it. But there's nothing – and this kind of goes back to our whole idea of what defines creativity and art. But you know, anything that you can kind of lose yourself in and kind of – create or or put together you know again like i i kind of default to like these home projects of of building things or right uh, even fixing plumbing or whatever where you're just like okay here's the thing right in front of me i'm not thinking about anything else i'm just in the moment and then when i'm when i reach the end i'm like oh hey it works it looks cool it sounds cool whatever it is um, even just daydreaming about a vacation or if you love the beach and putting together cutting pictures of beach out of a magazine and putting it on a page and just dreaming about a vacation that you'd like to take. Yeah. You know, that's a creative pursuit and you lose yourself in it. And so thinking about the building of your practice, what would you, if you had to describe it in five words or less, the, the whole journey of building the practice that you have today, how would you describe it? Follow the fun. Keep going. Yeah, I hear you. That's great. No. Way to limit me. That was well, good. Well, no, but the, yeah, right. The, I, <laughs> I need I, those limits because otherwise I would have just given you a paragraph and a half and you would have had to wade through it to find those five words. And we'll talk about artist statements in an upcoming <laughs> oh, episode. Oh, yes, we will. <laughs> but no, it's just, it's just kind of cool because I, the, other, the other thing, I'm always fishing for the answers I think you should say, which is, is that's my own problem. Um, <laughs> But I was thinking also of its its non you know nonlinear oh roller coaster oh you know and and that's why you have like these these touch points that you can circle back to and kind of like reground yourself and yeah and uh, for me the fun is definitely something it's like totally. wait 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 am I having even fun doing this this no. doesn't feel like fun <laughs> this feels like a job that's right <laughs> yeah and and uh, I think that's an awesome story and I. There's so much more to it, but in, in a half hour that we've been on here so far that uh, it kind of gives you an idea, right? It's like, wow, that's over, that's over years and years, you know, starting from the woods. Yeah. You know, and, and, and it's kind of cool if you have – if you our thinking is if you're listening to this podcast, you probably are thinking probably like creativity and creating whatever, whatever it is is your thing. And so you're going to eventually die. We <laughs> We talked about this in the first episode. No. <laughs> but, you know, how – and Ginger said it, you know, if you don't do anything for a year, a year will have gone by and you will have not been creative in a way that's meaningful to you because you've either thrown up barriers or you just don't – you can't see how it's possible and – We'd like to make it more possible. Absolutely. To, to feel possible. Yeah. Yeah. And from the outside looking in at Ginger over the years, it's pretty amazing the work that – you've put in to make it possible. And if creativity needs to be part of your life, which we think it does, then you'll figure out a way to do it, just like breathing, say, yes. or eating, or sleeping. 
Um, and so anyway, we feel like this story is hopefully going to be inspirational, even if it was somewhat maybe meandering and rambling <laughs> at times. It's like a river. It's a metaphor for life. Um, and but you are getting a realistic glimpse into yeah. our conversations. <laughs> I guess, oh, oh, well, one last word to describe the journey the, to, to a practice, which is an evolving thing too, right? The practice is always evolving because you figure out like either you change direction or you want to do different mediums or whatever. So keep that in mind too. It's not like, oh, I've reached the pinnacle of my practice. Exactly. Um, because if you find yourself bored or resentful of your practice, then it's probably time to change it. Right. Um, but anyway, the other, the other word I was going to say was messy. Yeah. And that's a, it's beautiful in its way, right? Yeah. And then I, I was going to... Experience. Gonna th- oh, there's so many good words. Throw out some cliches about omelets and eggs. and Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and when life gives you lemons. You make oh, an wait. omelet. Yes. <laughs> Well, thank you for listening. Um, next episode, I'm going to tell my enchanting story, yes. um, which very much parallels gingers in a lot of ways, especially timelines. And then, and then we'll get on with, with more stuff that's, that's useful for you. But again, the, I guess the idea is here to convey stories that are, I, I know everyone says they're regular people, like the president <laughs> or uh, right. Tony Robbins. Right. You know, I'm just a regular guy. I just happen to make six million dollars. Well, and but you know, these guys, people do have these stories from humble beginnings, and we're not really about that. It's not the trajectory from from humble beginnings to being rich. It's it's maybe it's just from being a regular person and figuring out a way to be rich creatively. Yes, and and it's very doable. And we know a lot of people who do it too, so that's kind of neat. Anyway, yeah. I guess we're establishing our bona fides. <laughs> it's like, why the He's hell? Bona fide. <laughs> He's a suitor. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you guys next time. See ya.